whether you're a fan of the Jackson 5 or the Beach Boys or in sync or even One Direction, I tried to get as modern as I could. Let me ask you this question. Can you name every member? I was never a big fan of the Jackson 5. I don't know that I've ever actually even tried to listen to them. But I remember one of the funny conversations that happened when I was college was asking people if they could name all five. Typically, people would start off with the easy ones. They'd start by saying Michael, and then Jermaine, and then Tito, and then it'd get really interesting. Because people would suggest Reggie. Well, Reggie Jackson was a baseball player. Never heard him sing, but I can't imagine he's that great. Or they guessed Jesse, the activist, and I'm not guessing he's much of a singer either. And once I heard somebody suggest Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm real sure that's wrong, but I could never come up with all five. And we may have to wait a couple of more years before a game like that would become effective with NSYNC or One Direction, seeing as they, for example, broke up last year. But when we stick to boy bands or other groups, you can look at all sorts of categories like this, including the Seven Dwarfs. It's bashful, I always forget. We are fairly likely to remember the one or two that strike us, and it always seems like there's at least one that gets forgotten. Now, by no means am I trying to make an illustration referring to boy bands in any proximity of the Trinity. However, this morning, as we start our fifth message in our series called Empowered, the book of Acts, we are going to focus on the third member of the Trinity, the one that I suspect we know the least about, the one that I suspect that we talk the least about, the one that I suspect that we think the least about. Francis Chan, in his book, The Forgotten God, reversing our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit, a book, by the way, I'll refer to several times this morning, writes in his introduction, while no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. And many of them do not believe they can. Let me read that again. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe they can. Maybe this is you. I was surprised last week preaching on the Holy Spirit, the number of people who came up and said it was the first message that they'd ever heard on the Holy Spirit. And yet, it's the third person of the Trinity. You kind of can't get bigger than that, being co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And that's part of the reason why we're slowing down this week, to look at the Holy Spirit intentionally. Because the power of the disciples was the Holy Spirit. The strength of the disciples was the Holy Spirit. And the boldness and the courage of the disciples was the Holy Spirit. And friends, as you look to go forth in this world, it will be the Holy Spirit that will be your power, the Holy Spirit that will be your strength and your boldness. Friends, if you knew nothing of Christianity, 
if you knew nothing of the church and you knew nothing of the Bible, and you picked it up and you read through the book of Luke, and then started the book of Acts, I can only imagine you'd have an enormous expectation of the Holy Spirit. Just to see Him work, to see Him move, and you would have an enormous expectation to watch Him at work in your life's killing sin, to see Him at work in your lives, using your gifts to build His kingdom. And friends, as we continue in the book of Acts, this is the excitement that I want us to have. The expectation I want us to live with. That the Holy Spirit is mighty and powerful and at work and dwelling in you. Thank you. Can I get more amens? The third person of the Trinity manifests himself physically in your being. He's with you. If you've believed in Jesus, you've received the Spirit, He's dwelling in you. Turn with me this morning to Acts 2. We're only going to cover a few brief verses. Acts 2, 1-4. through When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from a heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit which they have been waiting on, which Jesus told them to wait on, which you have finally arrived to dwell with men and to fill them. And He arrived with power and to give them power. And next week, we're going to jump more fully into everything that Acts 2 had to say to the disciples what it meant for them to receive that, to go forward in it. But this week, we want to begin and continue to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at His work through the disciples. But this week, we want to unveil the curtain a little bit more and lean into two questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean for me that the Holy Spirit dwells with me. There's your brief outline. First, who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible is an incredibly relational book. It reveals to us so much about God and about His nature, about His character, that He reveals Himself in story that we could see that. And it wasn't written as a systematic theology where everything on one topic gets gathered together and synthesized it would sure be convenient sometimes if it was done that way, but that's not the God we worship and follow. Therefore, God has called men to do this for us, and we have a number of systematic theologies that do that for us. In fact, over the last three weeks, I've gone through three of them, and I've read five books on the Holy Spirit. Uh, many of them talk about the Spirit way up here. One of the reasons I bring this book before you 
is because it's so manageable, so handleable, and puts it on a very understanding level. Now, that being said, I want to just up front tell you I'm about to steal his fourth chapter. Okay? So if you read this book and you go, hey, those seven points sound familiar, I'm stealing them. See, this isn't plagiarizing. I'm giving him credit. I'm taking his seven points. I've adjusted them mildly. He gives us seven statements to help us get and get our mind around who is the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit is a person. We mentioned it this last week. That the Holy Spirit is not a power, it's not a thing, but a distinct person in the Trinity. And you watch Him through the Scriptures, you see Him have a relationship with God the Father, you see Him have a relationship with God the Son, you see Him at work in conjunction with the Father, you see Him at work in conjunction with the Son. You see this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, when Paul puts out this for us, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, i got to be honest with you, that's about as Trinitarian as a verse as you're going to come up with in the Scriptures. Because they're all three here. Now, if you were a modalist, a modalist is one who believes that there is one God, no three persons, just one God, this verse causes you great challenge. Because you would just say, God can do all these things. But God reveals Himself as three distinct persons, the Holy Spirit being one of them. The second sentence. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not a lesser being. He is not a different being. The Holy Spirit is not JV God. He's not AAA God. He's not backup God or any other way we could talk about it. The Holy Spirit is God. And if we're friends on Facebook, last week you might have noticed when I mentioned that my four-year-old daughter called me into her room after bedtime, only to tell me this following statement, Dad, I totally get the Trinity. That's faith like a child. For a while, I've wanted to ponder that. Like, what did she really mean? Like, does she, she clearly doesn't understand. I had a seminary professor write back onto that statement only to say, well, that means you gotta start over. Does it? Or is that faith like a child? I pressed in on it. She said, dad, duh. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. She said, duh. <laughs> okay. That's what it is. Does that make sense to us? No! It's literally never made sense to anybody in the history of our faith. Like, don't try to wrap your mind around the Trinity. You won't get there. And that's perfectly fine. For as much as I could give you an egg that has a shell and has yolk and has white, or I could give you water that can be ice or it could be a liquid or it could be a solid, all of those things are not God. Any illustration you can conceive of falls so incredibly short of the Trinity, it's not even helpful. Three distinct persons, one God. And while they all serve in different roles, 
they're entirely equal. There's a whole lot to say there in regards to marriage, but we'll leave that for another day. In Acts 5, we see Peter interchangeably using the words God and Holy Spirit back and forth as he writes, which is fitting. The Holy Spirit is God. Third statement. The Holy Spirit is eternal. This goes along with being God. In John 14, 16, by the way, if you ever want to... Just a funny quip. If you need to know about the Holy Spirit, there's two places in John you look. John 14, 16, and John 16, 14. It works really well because you get your 14, your 16 in any order, and you'll get there. But in John 14, 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus forecasts to these disciples that I'm sending you the great helper, the comforter, the paraclete, and he will be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. And in fact, just to make it abundantly clear that if you've believed in Jesus, he's here with you now. Ephesians 1.13, a verse that is so helpful in every situation. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. I love this verse. Because hearing the gospel doesn't make you a believer. Believing in the gospel does. You have to take this step. You have to believe in Him. And Paul writes to the Ephesians, then you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That having believed, you received the Holy Spirit. Now we look back at that Acts 2, just hold that for a second. Because in that moment when the guys are sitting around the room and the tongues with fire come in, you already have that. You don't need that moment. Now would it be epically cool if the Holy Spirit busted in right now, swirled around like fire, and then consumed all of us? Yeah, it'd be really cool. But we're not after cool. We're after God. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's with us now and will be with us forever. We find Him in the Scriptures as early as Genesis 1-2. He has always existed, will always exist. We'll get a bit more personal. Number four. The Holy Spirit has His own mind. And... He prays for us. Think about that one for a second. Romans 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Are you weak? Who's helping you? The Holy Spirit all the time. You don't even have to realize it. In fact, this verse testifies to that. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You don't even know how to pray for you. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. It means He utterly discerns you where you are What's going on in your life? We could go to Psalm 139. If you descend to the depths, He's there. Friends, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God knows. 
And that's not like the epic guilty statement. That's the epic comforting statement. That He is with you, walking with you, and knowing what's going on in you, around you, and through you to a degree you can't even conceive of. And He's talking to the Father about it for you. This is one of those places where you just got to like shove back on Catholicism. Like, I don't need anyone else praying for me. I don't need Mary. I have the Holy Spirit interceding for me. I have Jesus interceding for me. Friends, we can look at texts like John 17 to see Jesus praying for His future disciples. But this text in Roman testifies to us that God the Holy Spirit is regularly interceding to God the Father on our behalf. The Holy Spirit prays for you. So it doesn't matter what your week looks like, how hard it gets, how lonely you feel, He's with you and interceding for you. You are not alone. Number five, the Holy Spirit has emotions. Now this is not me personifying God, but in fact you find it in Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, which is to say, by the hand of Paul, by the voice of the Holy Spirit, who gave Paul everything that Paul wrote down, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, it clearly happens enough that in God's Word, we're commanded not to do it. He puts it before us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan, again in his book, told you I'm stealing most of this from him, The Spirit is grieved when there's a breach in relationship. Whether it it be relationship with God or relationship with other people. When we are disunified, unloving, hateful, jealous, gossipy, etc. That is when we grieve the Spirit of God. Listen to this next sentence. Since He is the Creator of emotions, He goes into that a lot in His book, that God is the author and creator of emotions, I believe that the Spirit grieves more deeply than we can even understand. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our inaction, or by not paying attention, by our how we break relationships and how we frustrate one another, that that grieves God. So much so that Paul would write, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Number six, the Holy Spirit has its own desires and its own will. In 1 Corinthians 12.11, Paul writes, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, you have to appreciate at some level that you have a triune God, the three distinct persons, one God, 
So we don't want to characterize this as the Holy Spirit's will, not God's will, as if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have competing wills that they come to that like, no, I want them to do this. I want them to do that. No, this. No, they're always working in unity and in harmony. But Paul in 1 Corinthians, writing, because the Holy Spirit is breathing into his ears, that the Holy Spirit apportions gifts to each one. And friends, that is such a good reminder of who is in charge. Because I don't have gifts because I wanted them. And I don't even have gifts because I've tried really hard. I have gifts because the Holy Spirit apportioned them to me. He gave them to me. He thought it would be helpful for me to have. And in fact, He thought it would be helpful for the church to have. It's one of the great arguments for why all of us need to be serving in this body. Because if you're not, we're not functioning as a true body. We're struggling. Because we may not have a hand. We may not have an elbow. We may not have a foot. The Holy Spirit is apportioned gifts so that we could all function together as the body of Christ. His analogy, not mine. Finally, number seven. The Holy Spirit, and I, and I have to stick with this, these are big words, is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Three large theological words, meaning simply that He is all-powerful. That He is, you cannot stop Him, you cannot thwart Him, you cannot slow Him down. That He is omnipresent. And this is particularly true of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to push on this too hard. But if you read your and study your Scriptures, you find that God the Father and God the Son have a physical presence. You can't push on that too far. But Jesus physically resides somewhere while the Holy Spirit physically resides everywhere. You find Jesus is obvious. I don't have to defend that. God the Father reveals Himself physically to Moses in Exodus 33, covering his Moses' face with His hand and then showing His back. And the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. He knows everything. All the time. You can't trick Him. You can't juke Him. You can't head fake Him. There is so much more we could say about the Spirit. But I like those seven statements because they synthesize well what the Scriptures teach about the Spirit and they didn't get too heady on us. So our second point. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit dwells with you? What does it mean that all those things are true? How do we make this more practical, abundantly clear? What does it do? You will find as we walk through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit gives words to us to speak in hard situations or where we need to bear witness. You find this clearly in the life of Peter. We'll find it clearly in the life of Stephen. Men who stand up in the moment and declare abundantly who God is. And we often think, would I know what to say in this situation? Friends, it's not on you. It's on the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit gave them the words to speak. He gave the writers of Scripture the words to write. Which is to say this, that He can give you the words that you will need when you desperately need them. Now let me take a quick pause for a moment and tell you that's one of the great reasons to memorize Scripture, to study Scripture, to meditate on Scripture, to know it. It's amazing if you spend enough time in a passage, how it starts kind of fleshing yourself out, and how you end up talking about it to people, and how it flows out of us, because we've given the Holy Spirit tools to work with. But He can use you anytime He wants. Anytime you'll yield yourself to Him. And as we walk through the book of Acts, you will see that the Holy Spirit comforts the disciples, teaches them, and is always reminding them of the truth. Which is to say that the Holy Spirit can comfort you. It's the Holy Spirit that whispers truth in our ears when Satan whispers lies to us. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us of who we are and what Jesus did so that we might have strength and courage. And as we walk through the book of Acts, you will see that the Spirit grants power to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And just like He used the disciples and the 120, I told you, we'd come back to that number a lot. You need to know that we too have been given the power to be His witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. Friends, as we read in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit calls us to put death to the sin in our lives, to put it away. Not in our effort, but by the power of the Spirit. This will be a lifelong practice you need to know. He will show us our sin, convict us of our sin, and then give us the power to move away from it. One of the privileges I had as a seminary student was to be mentored by a uh, retired missionary in his mid-80s. I remember when Pete went to the hospital. I walked into his hospital room and we were talking. It was one of the last times I got to talk to him. I said, Pete, can I ask you a question? This is a guy in his mid-80s. Does lust ever go away? He looked at me, smiled, and says, Nope! (laughs) Dang it! (laughs) You know, we we have this idea that at some point we will conquer sin. There's got to be an age we move past it. i got to move through some of this. And yet it's the Holy Spirit that puts it to death, not our effort. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to walk and to move and to have our being. We'll see that clearly in the life of Saul, who becomes Paul. It's the Spirit that bears witness that we are the children of God according to Romans 8, 15 and 16. That we are not slaves to sin, but that we've received the Spirit of adoption as sons, testifying always that He is our Daddy. And that we belong primarily to Him. It's the Holy Spirit telling us that over and over and over again. 
And as Romans 15.13 says, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to abound in hope. In Galatians, it's the fruit of the Spirit that brings about our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, one of the things I was reading this week talked about the fact that as believers in our times, that we are so tempted to love God the Father because He loves us. That we love verses like, for God so loved the world because it means that God loves me. And what we do with how God loves us is becomes problematic. Because we want God to love us as we are, not as He would love us. That He might call us towards holiness, not just accept us for whatever we want to do. We redistribute that. And that we love Jesus because He would save us and forgive us of our sins. And we modify that to mean that I can do anything I want, whenever I want, and Jesus will forgive me. And we radically ignore the Holy Spirit whose job it is to convict us of sin. To give us boldness and courage to testify to who He is. Friends, as you read through the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit that becomes the main character, not the disciples. It's the Spirit at work and moving through the lives of people that trust in Him, that have believed in Jesus. So as we work through the book of Acts to see the Spirit move, please know He's still alive. And He's still powerful. And He's still moving. Just need to yield ourselves to Him. To be more aware of Him. To be more aware of His work and more aware of His power. Now the Holy Spirit kind of hides in the New Testament. Why? Because He's got one job. It's always pointing at Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And as a church, we need to point to Jesus, 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 Jesus. But we have to be aware that it's the Holy Spirit that lets us point. Friends, as we continue in and through this book of Acts, we've called this series Empowered. Why? Because you've been empowered. You have received the Holy Spirit. He's at live and at work in you. And though we dug into Him today, for the rest of our study, we're going to watch Him work. And I want us to be challenged by His work. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You that You sent Him after Jesus came for us. Thank You that Jesus sent Him to be with us, to dwell with us forever. Spirit, thank You for coming to be with us, to whisper truth to us, to walk with us, to give us comfort, to give us strength, to give us words to speak. May we not be a church that ignores You, but a church that pursues You to know the power that You bring. Not to make us strong, 
but to make Your name great. Father, I pray that You would use Your Spirit mightily amongst us to embolden our souls to who You are and the truth of what Christ did at the cross for us. Father, that it would drip off of us that we could become more passionate about You and who You are. God, we love You. We love the Father, we love the Son, and we love the Holy Spirit. Make Yourself known as we continue walking through Your book. Amen.